This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Salt Lake City. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that is PJ Evans. PJ, do you want to say hi? Hi from sunny London. Sunny? Uh, surprisingly so for this time of year. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll pass. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we, we brought you on to talk about this video course you put together. And mm-hmm. I think in general, I'd, I'd like to dive in as well on just how to teach and learn stuff about Node. Uh, the course is Node.js in Motion. It was released by Manning. That's right. That's right. Is there anything else you want to add by way of explanation or, or introduction? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a really awesome course. Obviously, I would say that. It's a fantastic course. <laughs> No, okay. So what it is, it's some of the courses you can put together that that really work is when it's the course that you were looking for when you were doing the learning yourself. And of course, that learning continues. You never stop. And I was looking for something that would take me as someone who knew JavaScript only from the front end, only from working in the browser, and get to learn about this great new server-side platform. Um, I struggled to do that a little bit. And I've when I got to the end of it, I actually ended up building a number of little devices for the Internet of Things network. And most of my knowledge of Node came from just sheer experimentation. By the end of it, uh, I did a presentation on my findings, and one of the Manning's people was there and said, well, would you like to convert that into some kind of course where people can take the same journey you have? And I thought, well, well yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go and do that. Nice. So many approaches you. You build this course. There's a lot going on in Node. <laughs> it's ridiculous we, I was we, gonna also say. Have, we haven't talked about it in a while so it would be good to maybe get caught up to I don't know yeah. where the state of thing where where's the state of things well it's funny because yeah I mean occasionally we'll get somebody on to talk about NPM or Node and they're saying here are the latest features and yeah and it's probably good to dive into that but I also really want to just dive into Okay, so with everything going on, where where do you start, right? Because that's what this course is. How do you get going with Node? So uh, let, let's start with where Amy's at, though. You know, yeah, what what's going on with Node these days that people need to know about? And how do you present that to people? Yeah, well, I was kind of curious for your answer, just on the state of okay. things. Uh, the state of things is it's all starting to make sense at last, Node had a fascinating, I mean, it's gone really, really quickly. When I started putting the course together, I was writing the code in, the, I think it was version 7. 8 went to LTS, long-term support, mm-hmm. during the course. We thought, right, we'll, we'll, refact- we'll do, do everything so we're there. We'll use ES6 across the board, make sure we're up to date. So, of course, by the time the course comes out, Node 10 is thundering along. And there is this... Um, amazing speed of evolution that the the Node Foundation are are undertaking. It's quite remarkable. But one of the biggest headaches with Node, and the one that's always the most difficult to explain to newcomers to it, even if they've done some work with callbacks in, say, jQuery or something like that, 
is the asynchronous nature of it. And especially, you said callbacks in jQuery, and I just got this chill up my spine. <laughs> yes, no comment. So, of course, we, you know, I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with callback hell and the, the horrible sort of sideways pyramid you can get in the code sometimes. And promises went a long way to resolving that. Still a little too uh, messy in code form, but now we have async await. And it's a wonderful, wonderful world we now live in, in, in the Node universe, where we can write code that actually makes sense to read, but still takes full advantage of the event loop and the non-blocking nature. I kind of have a question. And for people who are only focused on the front end, it might be, I think, interesting if we can talk about kind of the complexities around getting native module support in Node. No. <laughs> I, <want laughs> I mean, we don't have... <laughs> Yeah, it's a horrible, horrible mess. <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. Um, I'm not very um, satisfied with the way it's being handled. Maybe if we, you know, if we don't feel like we're the best people to go into the technical details, it might be good to talk about kind of just a little bit of like what the problem is, since I feel like some people are not really aware that this is even a problem. Yeah, so you're talking about uh, proper native ES6 modules yep. being supported in Node, yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's not at the moment, not officially in any way, shape, or form. There are plenty <laughs> yeah. of propo proposals out there uh, to support <laughs> it. But everyone's having big arguments, what a surprise that is, about how to implement it. And uh, a lot of this seems to be to do with file extensions and uh, minutiae like that. I expected by the time the course was finished for this all to be resolved, and that was a little naive of me, I think. That, <laughs> um, <laughs> they were all going to bring that together and uh, have an answer. So the short answer is, I mean, my advice is to a developer, if you're doing it professionally, if you're doing this as a job, if you're a freelancer like myself or in a company, and it's not something you're doing at home for, uh, for fun or for your own personal projects, I always recommend you stick with the LTS version because that's going to give you the longevity of your project. If your project is going to run for a few years, maybe someone else is going to take over your code. That's the version you need to be on, no matter how tempting those new features are. And the short answer is that in the current LTS version, native modules are not, ES6 modules are not supported. And I haven't seen as yet a clear answer. Yeah, I guess it was a little bit my understanding. I forget what I was watching and it could be outdated, but they kind of had to come back and say, you know, there are a lot more complexities in this than we thought there was going to be. Yeah. And it's going to take us a while to figure out how we're going to get there. I think one of the biggest problems is maintaining compatibility with the existing yep. common module system. Yep. They've really not come up with an elegant solution yet. So my question is, if it's a standard why does there need to be discussion about it? Isn't it <laughs> great question. Oh, it was a great thing about on the internet, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like seriously, like what if if this is a standard? Then why not implement the standard as standardized? It's because the standard exists within the V8 engine itself, and Node is a wrapper, an interface to the outside world around that engine, and that's where the problems arise. Because the way it imports modules currently, looking for the node modules directory and .js files in that, is fundamentally incompatible with the way you import modules using ES6. And they will break, well, they won't break compatibility, but they'll make things very, very messy if they implement it the way they want to at the moment, which is by using different file extensions. 
Yeah, I heard about that too. Yeah. Yeah. So explain that a little more, or maybe this isn't a tangent we want to go to. I mean, I'm interested. I would love to talk about this. Well, let's hmm. give it a few minutes, and then I really want to get into the the, the course. Okay. I know. Okay. Right? Yeah, I, I looked at it several times, and I was I was getting a little scared because I thought I'm going to have to do hours of reworking video to uh, <laughs> to put all this back in and um, put it all back in the code, and uh, it's never happened. And I'm yet to see any um, further information. Um, I can't claim to be the most up to date on what everything uh, everything that's going on with uh, nodes in the modules, but I have not seen anything else come in. Mm. Well, we'll we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll probably have somebody on at some point, and we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah, you might you might want someone someone who's uh, been uh, really thick into that. Who's doing hand to hand combat on the internet for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I tend to avoid arguments. So, uh, and there seems to be a lot of um, arguments about uh, this particular subject. Yeah, uh, forgive my uh, lack of knowledge, but how's that? How is it on the browser side at the moment? Is it, uh, is it widely supported? I thought that it was in... I'll, I'm going to have to go back and look. I don't want to misspeak for people, but I'll pull some blog posts from V8. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure either. I know that some of the browsers had some form of support, but I don't know how complete any of them were. Um, but I know it's getting better, so <laughs> there is that. Yeah, I remember a big blog post like around June where I thought, but I don't want to misspeak. So Yeah. I'll just I'll just add if it's worth editing in um, because I've, I, was, I was trying to remember something and I've just found the page that I was looking for um, the call to get the Michael Jackson solution and that's because they want to call the ES six modules dot MJS the Michael Jackson solution or Michael Jackson scripts so that's how you will tell them apart um, you can do an import various things from your module.mjs as opposed to a js. Some people think this is fine. Some people think this is a terrible idea. But you can actually enable support in Node. Um, there is a experimental modules flag that you can run Node up with that will actually allow ES modules to work. Oh, nice. Is that's this interesting. point where I throw the dad jokes in? Sounds like a real thriller. Ah. Uh, <laughs> AJ, what are you saying? I, I just think I it's was, bad. I was saying it seems interesting to me that they would feel like there's a need to do that. I mean, I don't understand the complexities of the parser, but I remember when we had that discussion a long time ago with uh, Yehuda Katz, he was talking about one of the reasons for changing the spec was to make it so that that parse time, these types of issues could be figured out. It, it would seem like it would be able to detect whether it's one type of module or the other without having to change an extension. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I can't can't really claim to understand what the uh, what's going on in the background, but when you start calling things Michael Jackson solutions, you know you, you know that they've got some problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going. It's not being straightforward. Yeah, they're putting too many buckles on their jackets. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so, you never have too many buckles on your jacket. If we do decide to keep this in, just to clarify for users, it looks like it was in Chrome Canary back uh, last year, actually. Looks like back around May of 2017. We should definitely keep it in. I just, I, I want to make sure that people who are coming to this, um, you know, looking for more beginner friendly content know that it's coming. <laughs> That's the only concern I have. 
I, I do want to push us over to Node.js in motion. Um, one thing that I'm curious about just to get us going is that this is essentially introducing people to Node, right? It's right. sort of a beginner course. So with, right. with all of the 10 zillion things that are going on in the Node world these days, I mean, how do you boil it down to here's what you have to know and then what do you have to know? I think the answer to that comes from uh, concepts. The concepts aren't changing. The implementation is changing rapidly, and there's always many more things you can do. But remember that, I, I, you know, in my opinion, sort of 80% of what you'll use in the real world day to day is there and fairly settled down. Uh, nodes had a very quick birth, and things have been changing from minute to minute. But the fundamentals of what you need to do with a programming language are now fairly settled. And the latest leap with async await means that it's now possible to go out and, and write things. And, and all the new features that are coming in, all the changes coming in, tend to be things that are refinements or additions that you don't necessarily need to rely on to start writing your code and having your, having your adventure with Node. Okay, so what are those things? <laughs> Put me on the spot there. <laughs> well, the way I've structured the course is to take someone who knows the JavaScript. It's not an introduction to JavaScript in any way. Uh, it's mm -hmm. aimed specifically at front-end developers who may see an in to get into becoming a full-stack developer because, for whatever reason, they've had no interest in PHP or Ruby. And they think, okay, well, here's a language I can transfer to the back end. I need to know how this works as opposed to how it works in the browser. So there's always the sort of standard things you need to do when you're writing a program, and that's interface with the file system, interface with the user in some way. So we start off with the basic fundamentals of here's how you talk on the command line, because a lot of people think Node is for web applications, and it's not. Mm -hmm. That's one of the great things it's absolutely wonderful at doing, but it can be used for any kind of computer program whatsoever. You can write desktop applications in it. I mean, you'd have to be a bit mad, but you can do it if you want to. So I start on the command line. It's like, right, we're, we're going to learn how to write simple command line scripts and applications. Nothing to do with the web yet. And then we'll introduce that later on. So we, we level up as we go. Uh, by the end of it, the whole project is to develop an entirely insane Hello World uh, website with an online chat facility where people can uh, talk to each other. So that introduces WebSockets, which mm -hmm. for me is one of the big pluses of Node. And um, yeah, so... Regardless of everyone saying, oh, new features, new features, new features, it's like, well, you're going to need to talk to a database, you're going to need to talk to a file system, you're going to need to talk to the end user, whether that's by HTML or whether that's by the command line. Those things fundamentally are refining, they're, they're pretty settled, and you don't need to get in a big panic about all the new features that are coming in. That said, I did have to do a heck of a lot of rework when async await sort of went live and, uh, you know, if you're going to get on the node train, it's a fast train. That, that's, that's the long and short of it. Gotcha. So I've done most of my backend stuff in Ruby. And so, you know, node, I, I mean, I play with it. I use it to build my front end stuff. But yeah, it, I'm curious, you know, AJ and Amy do a lot more JavaScript than I do. D does this line up with sort of your experience with JavaScript and what people need to know? I definitely think there's something to understanding how different Node is. So I think that it sounds like a really valuable approach. And 
I definitely agree with the sentiment that Node is a very fast-moving train. Um, I've found that it is much easier to stay. That Node has a safe space that most people operate in. And I think that, that it's good to know about that space and to be warned that if you go deep, 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 you could get run over sometimes. So I know for me, I mean, but this is the way I learn. Not everybody learns this way or not everybody needs this kind of information. But for me, I really like to understand um, like first kind of the purpose of why I would use Node versus another tool. And so along with that, one of the biggest things for me was, I can put a link in our show notes, but I watched a talk that somebody gave a long time ago about how the event loop actually works. And that helped me really, really, really understand, like that's just the core and the nature of Node. So um, it's that kind of information that I felt was valuable for me to go forward because the asynchronous nature of it is the trickiest part. And I know that you had said that, PJ. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So there's a whole module on just trying to understand the event loop and get the head around it. Now that's aimed more at people who've come from other backend languages like Ruby and like PHP who won't Mm -hmm. have seen that kind of behavior before or have only seen it in certain ways. PHP does use things like callbacks a little bit, but typically you won't use them. And that can be a real headbender. So we try very much right from the beginning that we, we go over that in detail and we say, here's how it works. And it's, it's not anything to be afraid of. It's not anything, you know, take some time to understand it. We have to do some simple examples just, just to see how the callbacks work and also how you can avoid getting into horrible nested callback hell. I'd be curious too, um, does your course kind of get into, so there's, you know, you can use like vanilla node. So I worked at a place and we were using node like for our ETL. So we're not using like any kind of framework and, um, you know, we're just using Node for that. But then, you know, you can use Express if you're trying to create an API or something like that. So all that to say, I think it's really valuable too for people to understand that you don't just have to use Node for, I mean, I guess you wouldn't have to use this for like Ruby or something like that, but because you can just do whatever in Ruby as well. All that to say, you can do a lot more than just, you know, create APIs with it. Absolutely. So we, as I said earlier, we leveled people up. So before we get into anything like to do with frameworks, we basically do a three-line web server, which is one of the fun things to do in Node. Yep. You can just fire up a web server and bang, it works. No Apache, no Nginx. It's just there. And that often makes PHP developers' minds pop. So we do that first. We serve simple pages. We look at post requests coming in, but then we move on to Express. Uh, I'm a huge Express advocate. I absolutely love it. So framework-wise, we cover Express um, using pug templating, and I know people have opinions on that. And uh, we also have a look at SQLize, which is uh, a quite remarkable uh, relational database ORM. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. 
They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I don't think I've ever used Pug. Yeah, well, it used to be called Jade. They got into some uh, uh, trademarking problems. Okay. I remember Jade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess another question, too, about the course. Um, you know, Node is much less prescriptive than a lot of things out there. If you do want to, at least it was when I was doing APIs with Express and stuff like that. Is it still like that? And do you kind of have best practices and formulas people can follow that are what you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Express does that for you. I agree with you. Express is extremely non-prescriptive. Um, and I'm someone who advocates a non-prescriptive approach to software development. I like it when frameworks have a light touch and allow me to go off my own direction. That said, uh, Express also has the Express Generator. I don't know if you've come across that. The Express Generator sets up a nice folder structure for you puts everything in place and gets to the point where you can just go start. You actually type in NPM start and you've got a running website. And everything's nicely divided into uh, views and routes which act like controllers and you can get stuck in there. Best bit about it though, if you actually don't like sort of the way it's put it all together, you can just go in and change it and make it work the way you want to. I mean, that's what I liked about it. That's why I got into it a couple of years ago was because... Um, no offense, Chuck. Um, oh, works. <laughs> well, for me, you know, when I was doing this like four years ago, I didn't like not knowing a lot of what was happening under the hood with Ruby on Rails. And so that's why I wanted to go the node route because I wanted to not like reinvent the wheel, but I wanted to be able to build at a lower level so I understood what was going on. So that's what appealed to me. I had very much the same experience with uh, Laravel on PHP. So much was obfuscated. And if something wasn't working, it was so difficult to find out what, that I just didn't like that lack of control. I mean, I'm in my mid-40s, so I'm used to you know, at a, an earlier, a better time where there was uh, none of these frameworks and you could just talk directly <laughs> and do what you wanted to do. And we had Internet Explorer 6 in those days. and. Uh, so I get very nervous when the control's taken away from me, which is why I like Express so much, because it's just all there. It's really simple. And if you want to mess around with it, you can. So I have a friend who is, uh, he, he was a Ruby developer for a long time, and he had the same experience where, like, he thought that Rails really taught him well. And he was, um, you know, he heard me talking about Node, and he was very uh, interested but cautious to to make a switch. And he finally started getting into it. I mean, it's been years. He finally started getting into it this past year and was just blown away about how simple things are. And he said, everything is so much faster when it runs and it's so much simpler to understand. Even Now, he'd been doing front-end JavaScript, so he was very familiar with callback hell and 
callbacks and all that type of thing. Don't um, go so. to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I almost feel like, too, that if you want to learn JavaScript, I feel like Node might be a little bit safer right now than the front end because things are so much in flux there. No pun intended, right? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But no, I I, I agree. Um, I, I will say one of the things that I liked about Rails was that um, you had some pretty well understood and prescribed patterns you could follow. Yeah, uh, it's super easy to like onboard people. Yeah, but I mean, the flip side is is yeah, you have that magic, right? It's it's a trade off. It's like there there are abstractions over the top of the abstractions over the top of the language, and so to a certain degree, yeah, it's like, okay, what did I do wrong? And sometimes it was just, you didn't follow the pattern properly. And sometimes it was, well, the the pattern doesn't really account for whatever it is you're trying to do. So you're trying to do something that doesn't fit into the, 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 the rails way. And that can be a good thing and a bad thing, depending on, you know, how badly you need that and how badly you need to do it that way. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting, you know, coming at it from the other end. And a lot of people in Ruby are now adopting other systems that are not Rails. Uh, there's a huge movement in um, Europe around Hanami, which is another framework that is much more modular. And it, it sounds like Express is much more that way as well. And so I, I, I think in every programming community, you're going to see some desire for people to go in and say, okay, you know, batteries included or not included? And you know, how much is it going to tell me how I have to do this versus how much is it going to give me that I don't have to think about? With Node, you get a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely more, to me, and I'd love to hear PJ's response to this, but to me, it's, it's much more of a start, simple approach. But one of the downsides of that is that you have hundreds of thousands of modules that do almost identical things, so when you start reaching out into NPM, you do end up with this black hole of there are so many small, simple things that it's overwhelming sometimes. Oh, absolutely. The module system, NPM, is the best and absolute worst thing about Node. And I don't have an answer. I, I, I absolutely love it and detest it in equal measure. And I'm sure on this uh, wonderful podcast, you must have discussed the left pad debacle when it happened. <laughs> a few times. <laughs> yes, I'll bet. Um, so that was absolutely horrible. And I do mention it in my course as well, because it's important, to obviously, to understand that you can go down a black hole with these uh, modules, as AJ says. And at the end of the day, you're running someone else's code, and it's someone you've never met, probably, someone you don't know, probably, and there was a, a brilliant article written. I don't know whether you've discussed it. Um, that absolutely made me turn white with someone saying, I've hacked all your websites and here's how I did it. And he went on to explain how he'd written a little module that changed. Uh, if you were doing logging, it would make it easy to assign colors to uh, whether it was an error or debug or verbose or whatever. And he... he Pulls it out there and then uh, did pull requests to bring it into more important, you know, bigger modules until they got to things like Express. But actually, it had some other code in it that did some other things, like have a, a route around your file system and then ping things at various times a day and transfer files around. 
and I couldn't believe what I'm, I was reading. And then at the end of it, he said, of course, I've made all this up. None of this is actually true. But for a moment, you thought it was. I'll see if I can find it for the show notes. It's a fascinating article. Well, but then that very thing happened with the um, uh, that ES Lent, the the ES Lent. Oh yes, that was that was the very problem that he was describing in the article was somebody including something in some minor dependency somewhere and it propagating up the chain into a huge project. And compromising, you know, so everybody that got that, uh, was it six months ago, maybe less than that, maybe, uh, there was that email that NPM sent out for everybody had to change their password. And that was why. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've just put that, uh, on, on the chat there. It's, uh, thrilling to read. So I, I'd say I don't have a solution because NPM modules are absolutely wonderful, um, this ability just to install these things. And of course, it's not a problem that's just specific to Node. Ruby has gems. PHP has Composer. It's, uh, it's the way we do things now. But if you're putting something into production, you're taking money off people, then there's a kind of an onus on you to inspect that code and, or have it audited by someone who knows what they're doing. Well, we do have the Node Security Project. That's true. But a lot of stuff goes into NP p.m. every day yep and in the case of left pad sometimes it comes out again as well <laughs> until they put it back <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah we, we do cover that in the course and we say you know bear in mind what you're getting yourself into yeah chances of you actually being affected by any of this is probably incredibly small but it's yeah the, but as you pointed out it's a reality no matter where you go so ab- absolutely it's now the way we do things so is there a place that people tend to get stuck? Uh, asynchronous calls. Really? Oh, every day. Um, yeah, because you know, Node will just sort of stare at you, thinking, you know, okay, what are you doing now? Because you'll, <laughs> run your, you'll, you'll run your program and it'll just sit there. And of course, there's something somewhere that you haven't taken care of that means that the event loop's still running. And that tends to be what people struggle with the most. I'm curious, um, though, do you think if you're using async await, that's going to make it a lot easier for people. I mean, I, callbacks are awful. Promises were better. Async await is amazing. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. And um, I spend very little time on promises because, in my opinion, there's no point. Why use promises? I mean, I know basic await is a wrapper around promises, but from yeah. a programming point of view, why bother dealing with dot then and all the rest of it when we can just go straight to async await, which is what we do. Um, What's interesting about that is, and it's a habit I've fallen into, is I'm, I'm coding very much like I did in my PHP days as a result of it. So nearly every command I type in now has a weight put in front of it. And that's deterring me from looking at doing things in a more asynchronous manner. It's, it's going back to my old habits of being a sequential programmer like in PHP. I know, it, it feels like that. I, I almost realized like when I first started using async await, um, I was kind of like these programmers that are learning JavaScript right now. They don't know the pain. And <laughs> yeah. so I had a moment where, where, you know, when I was getting into programming, I always heard, you know, well, you don't know the pain of having to support, you know, all these old versions of IE. And I didn't know the pain. Oh. So yeah. I had to like check myself, you know. <laughs> I mean, my only fear is though, um, with something like that, I just hope that people um, are prudent enough to 
take the time to understand how things work, which it, it sounds like you get into that in the course. So that's really good. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And just to finish off my point there, it's just it's just that I hope people don't lose sight of that you can do some amazing things by working asynchronously. And async await actually kind of deters you from doing that. Exactly, exactly, yeah. As I've discovered, because I'm currently working on a project where I've got to send thousands of requests to uh, Google Calendar APIs. <laughs> and I've done the initial work using await all, all the way through it so of course it's doing it all sequentially but now i'm sort of taking that away and setting off a whole bunch of requests at once which google can happily handle so that that's a power that's very difficult to implement in other back-end languages like php or uh, well I, i'm i know very little about ruby so i won't comment on that but certainly php or python it's tricky to do that kind of trick so was there anything that you wanted to put into the course that you just didn't have time to add or something that you felt like people needed to you know understand as kind of a next step well you can start getting pretty technical you can you can start getting down there but it that it was never within the remit of the course to do so this is not an advanced course this is this will not turn you into a rock star coding ninja or anything like that oh this i was will, hoping <laughs> well you're talking to the wrong person for that so <laughs> um, this is this is all about confidence building. This is under, you know getting that fundamental understanding and getting to the point where it's like, oh look, I've made something that works. Um, we often don't finish things off at the end, so to encourage the the student to carry on and try and try their own things out. So I'm, I'm actually pretty satisfied with it. We've got I think it's a running time of uh, six hours twenty minutes for the whole video. But it's Manning's fantastic uh, live video platform. So it's it's not just you're not just watching a video. You've got a live transcript running alongside, which you can jump around in. Um, we're using uh, AWS to bring in actual live uh, repls of Node. So, so you've got Node mm -hmm. command line sitting there, and you can, you know, if I suggest something, you can actually sit there and type it out without even leaving the web page and, and see what it does. So it's uh, it's quite an interactive thing. So yeah, I'm actually uh, pretty happy with how it turned out. I got to the, the level of complexity I wanted to. I didn't want to take it any further. Makes sense. One other thing that I'm just wondering about is, so you kind of get people over the hump. What do you feel like people need to know in order to be successful at Node or using Node? Well, I'm not going to harp on about the uh, the event loop again because I think I've done that one to death already. Uh, yeah. it, is the, it is the biggest differentiator at the end of the day. But I think like you know, with, with any of these things, it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of experimentation. It's, a, you know, it's the onus is on the student to be curious mm -hmm. and uh, not just listen to me rabbit on, but actually go off and try and break something on their own terms. But yeah, it's, de it's, definitely, it's definitely the async is the, is the big difference right. uh, between it and any other backend language that you're likely to play with. So I'm going to have to be boring and go with that, I'm afraid. No, it's all good. So one thing that I'm wondering about, you, you talked about async await, and you also talked about like asynchronous callbacks, mm. which, it, you know, at least in my mind, one is a, a method of managing the other. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so what async await allows you to do is to have a much more sequential style of programming. Now, some people don't like that. Some people have embraced the JavaScript way and, and like their promises, and that's absolutely fine. I'm I'm very much of the attitude that you know, you do what works for you as long as it's understandable by other people. Right. Pick your style, go with it. So I think a sync await is a great reduction of the barrier of entry to Node. 
So you can say to people when they say, well, why is that just not done what I wanted to do? The analogy that I've used in training is that uh, it's like you want to build a bridge, right? So you've got your architect and you've got your builders and their materials, and then you're going to have the opening ceremony. If you don't look after what you're doing with Node, when, as soon as you run the program, we immediately start with the opening ceremony and everyone looking very, very confused because you've got to wait for the architect to finish his job and you've got to wait for the builders to finish their job. Mm-hmm. And then we can have the opening ceremony. However, what happens is with Node is that the opening ceremony gets underway and you see a very confused architect and builders running around all over the place because they're still running, they're trying to do stuff, but they might not have the information they need to do it. Once that penny drops with uh, the student that they've got to manage the chain of events, which is something they haven't had to do before in other languages, then you know things start to move forward. So what are you working on now? Uh, I'm developing a node project, funny enough, in Express. I'm working for an educational company. We're doing a new project called School Planner. It's just been launched in Ireland, and it's for the educational system there. And it allows the teachers to do all the lesson plannings for the year. So that's all been built in Express. And, uh, yeah, we've got about 600 people using it. So it's, it's early days, yeah. But it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun put together. And I'm now working on some um, interesting sync work between school timetable managers and Google Classroom and Google Calendar so that uh, the kids mm-hmm. can get the timetables using their Google account and also use Google Classroom to submit coursework and things like that. And it manages all the different systems. So that's where async's become quite useful because if you try and synchronize thousands of children's calendars uh, to uh, Google Calendar, it can take an awfully long time. But if you go async, you can get a lot of stuff going at once and it speeds it up greatly. Other stuff I've been playing around with is, uh, I just want to make this uh, point about Node if people are curious about it, is that Node has been pigeonholed as a web application backend. And I'm very much someone who thinks that that's one of the things it can do. It's a general purpose program language like you know, like any other, like, uh, like Go or anything like that. You can write applications, whatever you want to do. And I've been playing around a lot with uh, Internet of Things code, and mm-hmm. uh, particularly Raspberry Pis, if you're familiar with uh, that little computer. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh, so the, I love it. Yeah, great. Good. Uh, disclaimer, I write for the magazine, so... <laughs> I'm quite an advocate of them. And funny enough, for a $35 computer, it runs Node exceptionally well. And it's brilliant for using its uh, GPIO input and output where you can connect sensors and buttons and lights and such like and controlling them. So uh, I've got a little robot. Um, Hang on a sec. I know this is not good radio. (laughs) But I'll show you anyway. There's a little guy. So uh-huh. that's got a, uh, a Pi Zero on it with a little controller board on top. And this runs Node. And the reason it runs Node is it's got WebSockets. Um, oh, sorry. If you, do, if you put this in for the listeners. So I've, I've got a little, uh, it's called a 4WD. And it's a little robot made in the UK, uh, just on four little wheels, has a Raspberry Pi Zero. And you can control it with uh, a sort of standard games console, joypad or whatever. Um, it has a little camera on the front as well. But I installed Node on it to actually drive the motors around because I could then use WebSockets. So it actually sets up a web server, a little express web server, and that uh, puts up a, a page on your phone, and it has a little uh, 
little circle that you can control with your finger. You move your finger around the circle, acts like a joystick, and it's using web sockets to send the information down there constantly to drive, drive and control the wheels. So you can just drive it around using that. That was a fun little project. So there's many other applications in those, and that's, that's something I want to get over to people and, and say that you know, it's not just for web server backends. It can be used all over the place. Yeah, I find that that's generally true of a lot of these other languages. I mean, Ruby also got, you know, mm -hmm. kind of pigeonholed as a web language, and it turns out that, yeah, you can do a lot of other stuff with it. So, and yeah, Node is definitely in that same space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, one last question before we go to picks, and that is um, if people want to find you online, maybe they're looking for a Node freelancer or... You know, any other reason that they have for checking out what you're doing? Where, where do they find you? Uh, easiest place is on Twitter, I suppose, which is at Mr. PJ Evans. That's M-R-P-J Evans. Or you can have a look at uh, com, which is my very badly and poorly updated blog. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers. Or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Amy, do you have some picks for us? I do. I am not sure where I found this. I probably was just, I don't know, deep in the rabbit hole of Googling stuff because it's really, really, really old. It's from 2007 by Paul Graham, and it is basically advice on how to hold programs in your head, which is something that, I don't know, I've always kind of observed that this is one of the gaps between a super junior dev and somebody who is really advanced in their career is kind of their ability to how much they can hold in their head at once. So anything that um, I feel like people can do to get better at that is valuable. So I thought there were some, some of the stuff's common sense, but some of it um, was helpful, especially for beginners. So that is my pick for this week. Nice. AJ, what are your picks? Um, so... Okay, well, I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> I've been, I, I've had the opportunity last week to do a project in Rust, and it was very painful. It hurt a lot. In fact, I was very depressed because I felt like I'm a pretty smart person, and I had a really hard time wrapping my head around um, its type system, which is like extremely strict. But I am like more convinced than ever that Rust is uh, a really good language. If you need, um, basically, if you want, if you want somebody that's going to handwrite your assembly for you and write better assembly than you could write yourself, um, and you want something that's going to be perfect, because the way the type system and some of the other idioms work in Rust that are, I mean, it's just nothing like it in any other language. I mean, it's just in the same way that Node's event loop is just. It was a new concept. It was fresh. It was just out of this world. Rust has some stuff that's out of this world for, for ensuring that your program is perfect. Uh, not your business logic, but it's just, 
every error case gets handled every every possible outcome of uh, of a value it's very idiomatic to handle so take a look at rust if you haven't and if you're um in that space where it makes sense to uh, obviously i would recommend for web server anyway that's that i'm kind of jealous but also a little bit scared now <laughs> oh you should be scared amy i'd highly <laughs> recommend taking a look but it uh it's heavy <laughs> that i mean yeah that's kind of what i want but break my brain <laughs> nice so uh, I found this really interesting website while I was uh, interviewing people yesterday for my Angular story and my JavaScript story. It's called tweetmashup.com. And uh, so I'll just put in my Twitter username and I will put in uh, PJ's uh, username from Twitter. And then I will t- click the go button. And uh, anyway, you get... You get some really weird mashups. So this one is. <laughs> well, I, I sometimes I, uh, I I tweet about politics, and I don't want to. I don't want to make anyone angry. Uh, let's see. Here's one. A few you can skip with Ethan Brown. I, I don't know. It's just. <laughs> uh, here's another weird one. In in a dark mood today. Real effort. I'm off to live in a cave. Level stuff. Checking peripheral vision for the black dog. Still new Steve Edwards. <laughs> Right, so it, it just it gets really, really weird blends, right? And so then you can tweet it to your Twitter feed. So anyway, <laughs> kind of fun stuff. Uh, been enjoying that. Um, one other thing that I'm going to pick is I've been reading a book called The Diabetes Code by Jason Fung, Dr. Jason Fung. My dad was a dentist, and so he was always, uh, he'd harp on me if I didn't say doctor. <laughs> doctor Jason Fung. Anyway, the the book is terrific if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic, or worried about being diabetic. I, I have type 2 diabetes. Um, he just explains in detail the mechanisms that go into uh, diabetes and how to take care of it. And um, I found the book really refreshing because I have been diabetic for about 12 years. and um, Or at least I was diagnosed when I was 26, and now I'm 38. Um, and I've gone to a lot of different doctors, and the doctors are really good at checking all your numbers and then looking at you and going, that's really bad. And then prescribing you medication. And that's the extent of the help you get. You know, um, I had one doctor that actually sent me to a diabetes class that confused me more than it helped me. Um, and so, yeah, this book just, it's, it's really clear, really well written. Um, he advocates a low carb diet, um, which is kind of in line with what I've been doing lately. Um, I actually haven't taken medication in over a year. And it's because I've been doing a low-carb diet. Um, but it's nice to kind of understand the mechanisms that are in place and, you know, why my body reacts certain ways to certain foods. So anyway, if you're diabetic or you're interested in it, the diabetes, or the diabetes code. He also has another one called the obesity code. And so if you're, you're overweight, um, in the diabetes code, he actually um, draws a lot of corollaries between what causes obesity and what causes diabetes. So... Anyway, really, really fascinating stuff. So I'm going to pick that as well. Um, PJ, what are your picks? Yeah, I'm going to go for a pick, if that's okay. So as we've gone a little, um, of course, from just standard tech stuff, one of the I work at home all the time. So I'm in this uh, this room for you know eight, ten hours a day sometimes, and 
music's a very important part of that. But I, like many other developers I've spoken to, cannot listen to lyrics when I'm coding. It absolutely messes with my brain. Can't do it. Amen. Yeah? So it's either got to be silence or instrumental. So I'd like to actually uh, make a pick up for some music, if that's okay. Do it. I'm always looking for good coding music. Well, it might not be for everyone, but there is a wonderful piece of music by a composer called Max Richter called Sleep. And I'll make sure you've got the Spotify link to that. And uh, this is quite special because it's based on an analysis of a typical night's sleep, if there is such a thing. So it follows the patterns of going into REM and out again. It's an ambient piece, but it lasts eight hours, 25 minutes. So this is something you can put on at the beginning of the day and just spend the day just listening to it. And it's perfect coding music because it just sits there in the background, doesn't mess around with your brain processes at all. So that's my pick. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming, PJ. Well, thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, we will uh, wrap this one up and we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.